0: Thank you so much Hunter, thank you Felicia, thank you Spirit of Carrie. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite your attention to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. We are continuing in a series called Firefall and the whole focus is spiritual awakening. We're just simply asking the fire of God to burn fresh in our hearts and in a new way. I have to tell you, I'm so excited about the William Carey students being here with us on a Sunday. It's been a blast to have them here Monday through Friday. Not long after you guys started classes here, I called Dr. King and I said, Dr. King, does this really mean what I think it means? And he was like, what, dear brother? And I said, Dr. King, am I now the dean of the Winter School of Music, Hardy Street Campus? And uh, he said, we're not gonna pay you if that's what you're asking for. And I said, Dr. King, if we give a donation to William Carey, he said, hello, Dean Hanberry. And it was just almost immediate. It was glorious. Now, we are so thankful to have them here with us, and it is a joy. Luke chapter 14, I want you to hopefully today just get a little bit of perspective on the grandeur, the majesty, the power, the splendor, and the beauty of our God. As we think about who our God is, as we have prayed for God to invade our lives in revival, as we've asked Him to awaken our hearts, I want to speak to you today about appetites. Is your spiritual appetite where it should be? Are you hungry? Are you hungering? Are you thirsty? Are you seeking the Lord? Maybe today in this parable, you will see some things in yourself. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. This is the word of the Lord. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, referring to Jesus, said to this other man, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything now is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. And then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets, into the lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame." And the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges, and compel them to come in, so that my house may be full. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my dinner. Let's pray and ask God to give understanding and blessing to the reading of His Word. Father, I ask You today that You would extend this same invitation with grace and power through Your Spirit to every heart here. God, I pray that today there would be no foolish excuses among us. May there be an embracing of the only way of salvation, the only hope of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this morning, Father, that Your people would be awakened to You in freshness. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Ralph Waldo Emerson years ago asked this question. What if the stars only came out one night every thousand years? What if they only came out once every thousand years? What would that night be like? No one would sleep. Obviously, we would be, as I put on the screen, ecstatic, delirious, made rapturous by the glory of God. We would count down the days looking forward to it. Only five more years and we'll see stars. We've heard stories of stars. We've heard people talk about stars a thousand years ago, and now it's only a year away. It's only a month away. It's only a week away. Tomorrow night, we will see stars if the stars only came out once every thousand years. You can read the rest of that quote and just begin to imagine in your own life the spiritual application. Instead, the stars come out every night and we watch television. We have been blinded to the glories of God by the things of the world. Follow along, if you will, in your notes on your listening guide. God has prepared a banquet for us a feast in His presence, but we won't have the appetite for it unless or if we're satisfied by something else. Awakening your appetite for God may very well begin with a realization that you have dulled your appetite for heaven by endless nibbling at the table of the world. Let me say that again, awakening your appetite to God and the things of God may very well first and foremost begin with a realization that your appetite has been dulled, it's been suppressed by constant nibbling at the table of the world. This parable really it gives us a great picture of that. All throughout Scripture we see this, this theme of hungering and thirsting, of, of hunger and satisfaction, of fulfillment and longing. There is in Scripture over and over again uh, an incredible picture. God truly has put eternity in our hearts and we have an inconsolable longing. And the reality is every single person in here, I don't care if you're a, a, a child that's not yet started school or if you're long past the school years and you're into the, the, the golden years of your life, if you're in college, all of us are at this place where we have eternity in our hearts and we long to satisfy that longing with scenic vacations and accomplishments of creativity and cinematic productions and sexual exports and sports and drugs and rigors of all sorts. We try to feel this God-shaped longing that's in our lives and in our souls. Isaiah put it this way. Isaiah said, Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? Isaiah went on to say, Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in my abundance. Incline your ear to me. Come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Jeremiah said it this way, God speaking through the prophet said, My people have committed two great evils. They have forsaken me and they have dug out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that do not hold water. They they have taken a cheap imitation and replaced the real thing with that which does not satisfy. It's almost ludicrous. If we go back to this application of the parable, One commentator said it this way: rarely do we ever see Jesus we we see Jesus weeping, but we don't necessarily see Jesus laughing in too many places. And one Bible commentator said, This story is almost the closest we see to Jesus telling a joke. In, In the minds of the Jew, they would have said, This is ridiculous. Nobody throws a feast and people throw up excuses. Nobody has that kind of a mindset. Nobody would ignore God that way, or or, or, excuse me, would ignore a person that way. And Jesus is making a bigger point in talking about God. Now, we know the setting. We need to go through this very quickly. Our time is limited this morning. But if you went back to verse 1 and following, they're at lunch. It's a Sabbath lunch. One of the leading Pharisees invited Jesus over. And they invited Jesus over for the purpose of trapping Him. They were always constantly trying to figure out ways, conniving, figuring out some way that they could trap Him. And Jesus healed a man in this chapter of Scripture on the Sabbath. Well, for them, they said, this is it, we've got Him. I mean, to heal on the Sabbath means He's surely not of God. He would keep the Sabbath otherwise. Rules and regulations were what they were all about. And Jesus begins to tell a story about the the resurrection and about humility. He talks about a great banquet. You see, they understood the resurrection. They looked forward to the resurrection as a banquet. Isaiah called it that. God will set and establish before uh, us, His people, a great banquet feast. All throughout Scripture we see that picture. The marriage supper of the Lamb that is to come. The shepherd's psalm. You prepare for me a table in the presence of my enemies. A feast in the presence of God is a great and glorious picture of that relationship and ultimately of heaven. Well, these guys didn't get it. In fact, one of them, where we started in verse 15, this is almost comical. He, he raises his glass, as it were, like a toast. He said, blessed are those who will eat bread in the kingdom." I mean, he hears Jesus talk about this banquet and he puffs his chest out and says, look how blessed we are. It's a beatitude, if you will. And in giving that statement, he affirms two things. One, he affirms in his mind, we're all going to be there. And two, he affirms, we're not listening to what Jesus just said. Because Jesus said, you're too proud to enter the kingdom of God. You think that you're going to go because of your accomplishments, because of your rule keeping, because of your religious life. And all of us need to hear this. If we're thinking in the context of awakening, it's important for us to think this way. Many of us are just like those words of Jeremiah. Our soul is hungry and our heart is thirsty and you have a, an insatiable longing for something. Maybe you find yourself this way. Even at a Christian university, you are at a place where everywhere you turn, the grass seems greener elsewhere than where you stand. You're restless. And the great tragedy for some this morning is that even though the Spirit of God is beckoning you to Himself, you will turn away again and again and again to short-lived temporary pursuits and pleasures, whether it's R-rated movies or drugs or alcohol or tanning parlors or new toys or even worship services. You'll you'll try to look better and dress better and, and get to a level of popularity or prestige. You'll try to get the right degree and if you get the right degree, that sets up the right career and the right career sets up the right kind of life. And all of that, many have come to the end of that trail and said it's empty and there's a longing and that restlessness is never filled by any of those things. Jesus speaks to these people with that kind of a mindset. His teaching exposes some fundamental truth and we need to get to that and then we'll we'll begin to pull out of this passage some truth that we need to see one thing that it exposes is just the absolute way that every religion functions why is it that people put themselves through all kinds of religious self-deprivating kinds of things why do they do that Why do nuns and priests endure deprivation like they do in their situation except for the fact they believe that's what will get them to heaven? Why do people go to Mass and say Hail Marys and go through religious things through their lives? Now, I'm not just picking on those of other ilk. I'm, I'm talking about us. Why do we go to church week after week after week and ignore the very things that are taught? Why do we find ourselves acting religiously and ignoring God? If we're going to have an awakening in this church, if we're going to have our appetites stirred and awakened to a greater level of understanding and the fire of God falling upon our hearts, it will happen when you and I begin to move away from that religious facade. You see, all religion works that way. Why do Mormons try to act as moral as they can and have that kind of a standard? Because they believe by doing so, it gets them to the banquet. You see, these Pharisees believed that they were doing the right things. We see it in his words Blessed are those who will eat bread in the kingdom. He sat back in his religious pride and said, My, 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 what a great thing it's going to be to go to be in the presence of God on that day of resurrection based on all of the law that I have kept. So when Jesus speaks of the resurrection, At this lunch, sitting at a table eating, somebody begins to think about the fact that it's going to be so wonderful. Gives this toast. Jesus replies. In essence, he's saying to you and to me and to them, your religious work is like seeking the hand of God, but not the face of God. We need to stop looking for just what God will give us and we need to begin to look at the relationship, the beauty, the majesty, the splendor. If we really understood who He was, the master that has invited us into His presence, there would be no excuse. There would be nothing that would keep us away from those things. Verse 16, Jesus said to him, a man was giving a big dinner, so we'll stop right there. This is a big deal. This isn't something that just happened. It's not thrown together. Hey, y'all stop by if you want to. This is planned for some time. He is a wealthy man. That's why there are two invitations. I want you to see this. There's an invitation immediately. It says that He invited those to come. So they are pre-invited guests. And then we come to verse 17 and it says, Now at the dinner hour, He sent a slave out to bring them in. Can you imagine this thought? It was the height of social life. If you lived in this... Uh, Agricultural kind of existence where you worked all of the time, and somebody says, I'm going to feed all of you. It's going to be a glorious feast. We know from scripture sometimes a feast could last for days. I mean, this was a a big shindig. This was a party. It was a big hoopla. It it was a a big deal. If you're not from South Mississippi and you need somebody to translate shindig for you, I can do that. Some of you kind of looked at my shindig. This is a big party. And and it would have been the top of the social calendar to be there. When you got invited, you would wait with bated breath. Now, here's what I want you to see in the two invitations. There's an obvious response. Fill that in. There's an obvious response. And you know what that is? Yes. Yes, I want to go to that party. I want to be in that banquet. I want to eat that food. I want to experience that fellowship. Yes, I want to be there. And the obvious response in this room is, if I said, do you want to go to heaven? Most all of you would say, yes. It's that obvious. I can't imagine not wanting to be in the presence of God. I can't imagine not longing to be in His presence and experience the fullness of that kind of banquets. The obvious response. But there's a second invitation. You see, we've waited and waited. Could it be today? Could it be soon? Oh, the banquet's coming soon. They had to kill certain animals and clean them and cook them and get them ready. They had to get all the things around them ready. But the reality is we didn't just have an an obvious uh, reply. That, That is the obvious reply. Yes, we had an oblivious response. And the oblivious response was, I've got things that are more important to do. And it doesn't matter what the excuse is. For them, they put the excuses on two basic areas of life, possessions and relationships. I've bought a piece of land, so I can't come. What, you can't look at that dirt tomorrow? You can't look at that dirt next week? Or perhaps the second man, I bought five team of oxen. That's probably a wealthy man. You can't try them out tomorrow or next week? And the third one is a relationship, his wife. Well, I've been married and I'm in this period of marriage and because of that in these early stages, I cannot be away. I want you to see this very quickly, church, and everybody really tune in, dial in for a moment. Almost every excuse that we have can be boiled down to this. It's in your listening guide this way. It is the possessions or the relationships of the world The possessions are the relationships of the world. And in fact, we see that later in this chapter where he goes on to say, if any one of you wants to be my disciple, what do you have to do? He says, put aside some things. He talks about mother and father and brother and sister. Earlier, Jesus had said to a man, you need to sell off everything you have. You see, the stuff of this world is crowding out the appetite for God. The average Christian comes to church and they never open their Bible. They never have spiritual conversation outside the four walls of this church. They may read something light and devotional, but they never pursue God. And my question for you today is, how hungry are you? How thirsty are you for God? And we forget that it's without Him that that nothing in our life can be right. It is only in Him that we can experience fullness and satisfaction. And for you and for me today, the, the reality is we have dulled our appetite to the things of God by nibbling at the table of the world. We have been just satisfied enough where we're just above the level of discomfort. And we grumble and we complain about minor things, but lose sight of the fact that there's a grand and glorious God who put the stars in the sky. And the Bible says not only did He put them in the sky, He knows them by name. I don't know about you, but I am masterful at cleaning up what people are going to see. Anybody else do that? If you were to come to my house, my wife is shaking her head, and in her heart of hearts, she's saying, we're going to have a little talk in a little while. She is good at cleaning everything. Okay, let me go ahead and put that on the table to keep myself out of trouble. If I know you're coming over, I can stick stuff in places, in closets, and under my bed, and in different places. Now she's thinking, what's under my bed? What is under my bed? (laughs) And the far reaches of my house that I'm not going to invite you to see are probably not going to be as clean as the part that I invite you through. The God of this universe made this entire universe that's vast, and beyond beyond anything we can comprehend, and He cut no corners anywhere. It is beautiful and radiant beyond belief everywhere. There are stars in our universe with which we could compare our sun, and if the sun were boiled down to 18 inches tall, some of them would be as large as Mount Everest, five miles high in comparison. Can you imagine the blazing glory and the heat of that kind of a star? Why did God do that? Perhaps, just perhaps, to show you and me a little bit of insignificance. Show us exactly how small we are in the presence of this grand, glorious, and great God. And when these were invited to this banquet, and they began excuse after excuse after excuse. No, I'm good. It would have been laughable to the Jews. And even more laughable and shocking would be the response. The master was angry and so he sent his slaves out and said, go to the highways and compel them to come in. The lame, the crippled, the poor, bring them in. These Jewish Pharisees sitting around this lunch table on the Sabbath with Jesus would have been incensed. How dare you even think of such a thing? But the reality is to say no to a master was not just thumbing your nose at him It was literally like a declaration of war. It was, our friendship is over. I am not going to your party, and it's not because I don't have a real reason. If I was sick, he might excuse that. If I was uh, impaired in some serious way, he might let it go. But the reality is, all of them said, just consider me excused. And they said that in the context of puffing their chest out and saying, boy, how proud we are that we're going to be in the kingdom. Now, what does that have to do with you and me? If we walk through the Beatitudes and see that the very first step of spiritual awakening is a place of hungering. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those that are spiritually bankrupt because they will inherit the kingdom of God. They will be given. The meek will inherit the earth. And right on down the line, we begin to see a developmental pattern. And it's not new to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, if... My people who are called by My name will humble themselves and pray and seek My face. We talked about humility last week. Jesus is talking about humility here. He's saying, if you will humble yourselves, then you'll recognize the greatness of the Master, the glory of the offer. But you're too proud to see that. And so as we move forward through this, we begin to see Jesus focused on some things that we're not focused on and they're not. This idea of spiritual awakening. Jesus sought to shatter their sense of false religious hope. There's a false religious hope that many of you have. Let's put that on the screen. I I skipped past it, but I want to go back and pick that up. Jesus wants to shatter false religious hope. One of the most dangerous things that we can do in America and in our lives and in our city is just to pat other people on the back and say, well, you're a good, sincere person, maybe you're okay. And I'm not just talking about Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or somebody from some other faith. I'm talking about Baptists who live like the devil. You need to look at them and say, you need to repent. We need to turn around. And I'm not being harsh. The kindest thing I can do is compel someone to come in. You see, that's what the slave was called to do. He told him, go and compel them. You know why they wouldn't come in? They said, I'm not worthy. I don't belong at that banquet. I can't step in that man's world. Look at me, I'm a mess. I mean, these are homeless people in the streets. Go and find them, bring them in. There's more room, bring more in. Go back out, keep coming, keep them coming. In fact, there would have been a sense that if you were invited to this banquet, you were probably expected to reciprocate. And they said, I can't throw a banquet. When you got saved, if you were saved this morning, then you looked at the Lord with honesty and sincerity in your heart and said, I have nothing to bring. I just cling to the cross. The cross of Jesus is all I have that's worth anything. And students, let me tell you, the right career choice and the right degree will ultimately get you nowhere unless you're serving Jesus through it. Knowing Jesus, Hunter said it so well, you trust Jesus, you'll find purpose. You trust Jesus, you'll find power for your life. I started praying as you did months ago, drawing a circle around myself, Lord, send revival inside the circle. I just got to tell you, I'm getting a taste of it. As I began to think about the stars in the sky, and me inside watching television. It, it was a great picture for me to stop. It's, so oh God, how I have neglected the beauty and splendor of who you are, how I've laid my Bible aside at times and said, I'm too busy to pray today. I'm too busy to spend time in the Word and I need to get back to that. And when you and I get to that place where we say, nothing will stop us from getting there. Nothing can keep us from His presence. I long to be with you. And we come to that place of crying out in open, honest humility. That's when revival will come to Hardy Street Baptist Church. That's when revival will come To the Pine Belt. That's when the Spirit of God will begin to move in supernatural power that we cannot comprehend. Here in Luke 14, we see an amazing picture. Two invitations, what do they signify? Well, if we look on a prophetic timeline, God gave a great invitation to the people in the Old Testament. He sent prophets, He sent the writings, the scriptures, the law. And he said, come. And they accepted part of it. We are the people of God. He said, no, you need to turn to me. You need to turn to me. And then we move forward and we see when the appointed hour came, here comes John the Baptist. Here comes Jesus Christ. Here comes the apostles. And the invitation is now ready. It is the dinner table hour. It has come. And they come and they say, come on in. What a beautiful, beautiful picture just in this one parable of literally history. God is compelling us. Come on in. And Jesus is constantly fighting against false religion and that may be very well the biggest excuse that we will put before because we will say like those in Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, did we not do great things in your name? Lord, Lord, did we not fill in the blank? And he said, depart from me, I never knew you. Some of the most tragic and difficult to read words in all of Scripture. These religious leaders puffed themselves up, toasted to one another about the banquet, and Jesus said, you're not going to be there. Now, he moved it from parable to principle. Look at this. He said in verse 24, my banquet, my dinner. He said, none of them, none of them will eat at the table at my dinner. He says, bottom line, you'll be excluded from the heavenly banquet. You'll not be in the kingdom of God, not among the blessed, nor will you be there at the resurrection of the righteous. All of a sudden, what's bursting in their minds at this juncture and in, in, in trying to recycle it is this invitation, a man that God has, uh, uh, that's God, and he's giving this big dinner and salvation, this eternal kingdom is before them, the resurrection of the righteous, a heavenly celebration, a lavish banquet in glory. The authors of the Old Testament, meaning... Israel, the pre-invited guests, the chosen people of God, now standing at the dinner hour and hearing the second invitation that they're not going to be there. They all said yes to the first and made excuses for the second. At the dinner hour, the moment when the meal was ready, the master sent a servant and he came to prepare the banquet. What are those two sources back to the other? What are those two sources of satisfaction, possessions, and relationships? Are you letting people and things get in the way of your relationship with God? Are you trusting Him and the salvation that's found in Jesus? I I love this. Go out and find the people who are spiritually destitute. Go out and find the people who are broken and hungry. Go out and find sinners who know they're unworthy. Go out and find those who know they don't belong at the banquet because of their wretchedness, the tax collectors, the riffraff. Go find the beggars. Go find the untouchables. Go find those who are spiritually aware of their utter uselessness, hopelessness, and unworthiness. When you find those people, those are the very ones that will walk into heaven based on the gift of grace in Jesus Christ. For you and for me. We need to say that's not going to... That's not going to include Baptist Pharisees, scribes, rabbis, priests, who by their own self-righteousness felt like they had entry. But the banquet will have outcasts, those that are hungry. You know, I, I struggle with how to preach best a passage like this and how to convey the greatness of our God. I simply don't have words. If I could tell you how great my God has been to me, If I could tell you what He redeemed me from, if I could tell you how He pulled me out of the miry pit and set my feet upon a rock, if I could tell you about His splendor, His power, His love, His faithfulness, His commitment to me and to you, His grace in Jesus Christ, His sacrifice, His unfailing love, if I could describe some of that, maybe you would get a taste for it and you would hunger for it like you hunger for lunch or like you hunger or thirst for water when you're parched, when you get to the place where you say, Nothing else will satisfy me. I need Jesus. He'll satisfy your soul. The Bible says "As the deer pants for water. The psalmist said, so my soul pants after you. When's the last time you got to that place where you were so hungry you said, I don't want to leave. It's not about hearing sermons. It's not about being in a worship service. It's not about being in a building. But when's the last time you said, I just want to sit here in the presence of God because I'm scared I'll miss it if I move. When's the last time in your quiet time you opened up the Word and shed tears and said, oh God, thank you. Thank you for preserving and protecting your Word for me. Thank you for sending your Son for me. Thank you for bestowing upon me grace after grace after grace. Thank you for letting me be the one who would compel others to come in. It's not a burden to do evangelism. It's a great joy. We get to tell people the greatest news ever. Jesus is alive. He saves. He is inviting people today to this great banquet and the banquet table has been set. It's ready. We don't know the exact time of the hour. We're just called to go and bring them in because one day He's coming and when He comes again, we will sit in that feast, in that table, unworthy to be there on any other merit but because of Jesus Christ. And I thank God for it. I thought about printing up invitations to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know about you, but I've, I've thought about that a lot in my mind. There are four or five dishes that I'm quite certain that my mom has cooked, my wife has cooked, and I've tried in other places that will be served. They will be on the catering menu at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I, I'm convinced there's going to be good stuff there. But I don't want to hunger just for the meal. I want to hunger for the presence of the Master. I don't want just the blessing... I want the blesser. And I thought about printing up invitations and making you respond, making you bring them to the altar because there's two clear choices. Either you accept with pleasure or you decline with regret. And you can walk out of here make no mistake. You can say no to Jesus today. Not have your appetite stirred or awakened in any way, shape, form or fashion. Maybe, just maybe though. Maybe, just maybe. There's someone here today who God has drawn together and said, the invitation stands, come. There's room for you today. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would awaken us to your splendor. God, that we would today experience new life in Christ. That someone here today would trust you perhaps for the very first time. God, we love you and we thank you. As we surrender ourselves today, I pray that our Appetite for you would be stirred and awakened and revival that is coming would happen in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand together and sing a hymn of decision. We have encouragers and staff members that will be here at the front. They would love to share with you from God's word how you can be saved. You come at this time. They won't embarrass you. God doesn't want to ruin your life. He wants to redeem it. He won't hurt you. He'll help you. And today the invitation stands. Are you going to accept it? or Are you going to reject it? You come as we sing.